Welcome to Marvel's Voices. I'm your host, Angelique Rocher. I am so excited. We are here for our second creator-led conversation. And man, when I tell you the creator that we have uh, this week is no stranger to Marvel's Voices. In fact, um, was one of the original essayists for the very first Marvel's Voices, wrote an essay about Isaiah Bradley, and has since gone on to write the introduction for this year's Marvel's Voices Legacy Number 1, and, and we'll talk about it in a second, is officially a Marvel writer with her brand new book coming out this year. Welcome to the show, Caramel Horn. Yes, I'm so excited. So thank you, Anjali. Thank you on all fronts because getting to participate in the first Marvel's Voices, which came from the podcast that was, you know, basically your baby. I'm so excited to see just the whole thing grow and expand and to still be part of it. And I know for a fact that some part of that is a reason why I have the book Protectors of Wakanda. So I'm super excited. It was a labor of love. Um, yeah. But to be able to write the origin story of the Dora Milaje is, was just such an honor. And I can't wait. And folks can get their hands on it right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things I love is like the last couple of years, we haven't had a chance to see each other in person, but you've done so much, right? You, you've had a Twitch show. You have been still doing stuff across all levels of genre. You've been writing. You've got Rotten Tomatoes, Fandango, across the board. You just really have been doing so many cool things. And now you got a brand new podcast, Pop Paranormal, uh, which is, I love alliteration, um, <laughs> which is about horror. Yes. Um, me and my co-host slash life partner, uh, Chuck Collins, we get to basically argue, which we already do, about horror movies and TV shows and talk about some of the themes in them that have really affected pop culture. And it's really a lot of fun. And please, if you haven't listened already, that is out on Travel Channel. But, you know, one of the things I, I do love is that, you know, and you talked about this in your introduction to Marvel's Voices Legacy number one, like you are a true blue lifetime, hardcore, just it's in your veins, your DNA nerd, right? Because you you grew up with brothers grew up in New York, uh, which is like the epicenter at the time for for comic books. We won't age ourselves. But, you know, you grew up like trading comics at school. It's really funny that you said that. The brothers were the operative phrase in that <laughs> sentence because, yes, I have younger brothers, but I kind of grew up between like New Jersey and New York. And where yeah. I was in New Jersey, there weren't a lot of comics in what we could get our hands on. My brothers had, and my brothers were also very big gamers. And I was the only girl and the older sister. And I, my brothers, ew. So I wasn't going to like <laughs> actually like what they liked, but I secretly did because I come from a household of geeks, the entire family, yeah. mom, dad, and them. We all watched Star Trek together. We all watched, you know, Star Wars together. We all watched so many things and the 90s and the early aughts all together. And it was just interesting because it was high school 
before I really got into comics. I was into animation first. But that first comic was uh, one of our favorite characters. Uh, it was Monica Rambeau on the cover of Spider-Man Annual number 16. Oh, yeah. It's up on my wall right now. Yes. You know, and I and I got to say, like, shout out to you, too, because of this immense um, love of community you have. Because I remember first getting into, like, I've always been a nerd. Let's be real. But, you know, I say that to say, like, one of the things that I remember coming into this, you know, professionally and, like, being in this space, you were one of the first welcoming arms waiting for you like that was one of the things that I, I always loved and you know even the fact you know full disclosure Karima and I have like done show projects together we have worked together on numerous occasions but that is because like you have this immense love for community and you have um, this deep introspective understanding of the importance of culture and influence and how people tell stories from particular perspectives. And that's something we found out we had in common very quickly is this idea that we knew that wherever you come from, whether it's African, Latinx, German, you know, Norris, we bring ourselves into our work and our art and our love and what we relate to within our characters. We're also interested in seeing stories that were different and diverse and coming from a very, like you said, inclusive background. I've always been fascinated by that, but the writers, even though people think all this is kind of new, and even though like Marvel's Voices is relatively newer, the stories are not. A lot of this stuff has been around for a long time, as I'm sure people have heard on the podcast. And I know people are really relating to, you know, in the, in the comics, a lot of the stories and the people that you're meeting have been doing this for a long time, but now their voices are being heard. Yeah. It's just so much lore out there and there's literally something for everyone. Well, and I think that's, you know, why you kind of are the perfect guest host for yeah. our guest this week, Thank Mr. Juni Ba, you know, originally from Senegal. He's now living in France, but, you know, he's got one of the most unique styles influenced by so many different cultures by so many different artists uh, from graphic novels to European, you know, style comic books to anime. And I think your background and truly understanding the, the complete like plethora of uh, what comics are and the different genres of comics uh, is going to make this such an incredible conversation. No, I'm I'm really excited because just looking at his work from Monkey Meat to the latest uh, Jalia, and it's just, it's this mix of like gorillas and Basquiat, and I just can't wait to ask him about where all of this comes from because I love origin stories, and I know you can relate to this. Just oh, yeah. finding out how people get to where they are just fascinates me, and- Anyone who is an international comic book creator or artist always has a very different story than the average, hey, I grew up reading comics at the little comic book shop, so I can't wait to dig into what like his lore is, you know, his his origin story. So I'm I'm really excited to talk to Judy. All right, well, let's get to it.
So Junie, Junie Ba, I'm so excited to talk to you today. You are an artist, illustrator, writer, and someone whose work I am um, a fan of. So I'm so excited that you're taking some time out of your busy day to talk to me. Thanks. So let's go back. I want to talk about your origin story. What was your first introduction to comics and how old were you? Okay, I'm going to need a bit of background for this one. I grew up in a West African country. So the first comics, at least, that I was reading were French or Belgian. So the very first, like the oldest comic that I still possess is like uh, Spirou, which is a Belgian uh, comic book hero. Like he's, he's kind of like the equivalent of Tintin, but more kid-oriented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even then, like, the comparison isn't really fair that I'm the one that, that they're like reporters having adventures. Anyway... And he's had loads of different creators working on him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess it started with that and then a bunch of European comics. And then manga started, like, I remember when I was under 10 years old, I had, like, little volumes of Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And a few copies of Batman the Animated Series comics. Mm-hmm. And on the Marvel side of things, I didn't get my hands on a Marvel comic until I was 11 or 12 when a friend of mine who came from France told me, how is it possible you've never read a Spider-Man comic? And he gave me a copy of a book that was drawn by Umberto Ramos. And it had Peter fighting the Green Goblin in some kind of weird factory. And I still have it, maybe. So yeah, and, and I, I got into more Marvel stuff around the time Avengers 1 came out. Mostly because I had access to the internet and uh, being an African person with limited access to a lot of things, you go to the internet and to forums and stuff and you're like, okay, give me everything you can. And I read Thor, uh, the Chris Sunny drawn Thor. And I was really interested in Thanos. So... Infinity, I think it was Thanos Quest, the first book of Thanos that I read. And then a bunch of different things. Like I, I spent an entire summer reading the 2008 space opera thing of like that that created the Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not created, but like revamped them. Anyway, yeah, it started like that. So I'm curious. I'm f- always fascinated by how people like procure their comics because it's different for everyone. So... Yeah. Where were you reading these? Like, how did you get your hands on them? Uh, like I said, forums, because I was living in, in Africa and I had no access. So a lot of it was piracy, to be honest. I don't know if that's going to bring you trouble. <laughs> um, but the realities of things are what they are. Uh, and most of, I mean, a lot of the annoyance actually came from the fact that I realized very quickly that I was... I was in a country where I was really getting very little in terms of comic book access. And the American side of things, there was basically nothing. Like I, I in, in Dakar where I grew up, I had nothing in terms of like access to American comics aside from a few, like I said, Batman the Animated Series when I was a really small kid. And it actually was very surprising to me to hear my aunt talk about how when she was a kid in the 60s, she re- she read Thor and the Silver Surfer from like a kiosk on, on, on the street. And I was like, wow. I don't have that. I live in the 21st century and I don't have that. Uh, so clearly like on the, on, the, on the access chain, something went wrong and, and it became way more difficult to, to procure books. 
So yeah, the internet was the solution for me. So let's back up. Your aunt was reading Thor in Dakar. Yeah, in the 60s and 70s. So just as you were surprised that she had her, got her hands on the comic, were you surprised that she knew anything about Thor? Like, were you all talking about Asgard over dinner? Yeah, that was funny because like, I mean, most of my family isn't really, was into comics when they were kids and then they stopped being into them and they were reading mostly French stuff. Uh, so it was like, I didn't even know that American comics were accessible to, to them when they were kids because my dad was never into it. My uncles neither. So I just learned that she liked them. And yeah, it just evolved into a discussion about how, like I asked her like, okay, why Thor and Silver Surfer? And she told me Silver Surfer was her favorite because he was the most poetic of them all, of all the superheroes. She found, Or even all the comics that she was reading, she found him to have like a sort of a larger than life sort of a, yeah, poetic is a good, like, I think poetic is the word that she used for why she liked it so much. And then, See, yeah. Listen, my mom did the same thing. So my mother's not from this country. And so she thinks of comics as only like Marvel and stuff. But she all of a sudden was like, oh yeah, Asterix and Ob- Obelisk and all these other yeah. things. And I'm like, mommy, that's a comic. But <laughs> she didn't think of it like that because her concept of comics were these, you know, the superheroes and things like that. So were you also reading your Franco-Belgian comics that way, just online or? Uh, no, because the French side of comics is not as good as making things widespread uh, on the internet. Uh, or maybe they're actually better at protecting them, their, their stuff from piracy. But I mean, that's the irony of it, of wanting to be so protective of something that you end up killing the cultural relevance, I guess, of your stuff. Because when I was a teenager, I had the few French comics that I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. But most of my comic book consumption was manga. Because that's what was most available to me on the internet. So I was reading the scans every week. And then and everyone else around me was reading the scans every week. And then very quickly, I was one of the early adopters of manga when I was in my high, in my high school. Okay, so... but I need names. I need names. <laughs> I need, I, mean, my, I need issue well, names. Seven <laughs> uh, uh, King is probably the biggest one for me. Uh, then there was Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, Naruto is an obvious one. Um, but there was like D. Greyman, uh, Soul Eater. Like there yes. was. A, like, um, there's Subasa Reservoir Chronicle, which I, I, I made me cry so many times. But like basically, the the whole thing was. It wasn't just about reading them. I, I started reading them alone. And then my friends first started making fun of me for reading that stuff. And then gradually they started reading them too. And it became that thing that every time a new chapter was out every week, it was a discussion in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. The same way Dragon Ball Z was a discussion when we, were, when we were in like seven years old. Suddenly we were reading Naruto and making, you know, stuff people do when they follow a story together. And the irony was that because it was so hard to get access on anything else, that's the only comics that we were reading because no one had access to Spider-Man, let's say, the same way. Right, right. Were you, you know, drawing then? Were you already saying, okay, so if I was part of the Hidden Leaf Village in Naruto, (laughs) this is what my outfit would look like. Were were you already drawing in your notebook all of these different uh, characters? and, and it started because of video games, actually. I had a Sonic the Hedgehog game and I saw the 2D animated intro to Sonic CD and I just lost my mind. And I started 
just started as one uh, should as one yeah. should like, it is so, <laughs> um but yeah and, and it started this way of like just making sonic comics with my friend when i was 11 and then gradually i at some point i made a pokemon comic and then i started gradually like manga was the starting point of thinking about making my own characters and they were very inspired by the manga that I was reading. So very often they looked like reduxes of stuff that already existed. And then gradually you start learning to make your own out of your influences. You stop copying and you start being inspired, I guess, is the nuance. So I'm just really curious, when you started creating these initial characters, tell me a little bit about what they would do, what those early stories that you were making up were about. Very often, it was a sort of remake of the manga that I liked the most. So, like, even now, like, thinking about sort of certain character types or uh, designs that they would have, they would very often look like my favorite manga characters. And the main issue I had, I think, was that I was not made for that. Even at the time, I was frustrated because I couldn't get my lines to look like most of the manga that I was reading. Um, and the big thing that changed for me was discovering Hellboy and realizing, oh, you can draw completely differently. Like you can, because I think very much in my head, there were the three poles of like American comics look a certain way. It would be the generic, the generic superhero stuff, because again, I wasn't reading that yet at the time, or it would be manga, which would be somewhere between Shaman King and Naruto and stuff like that. Very shonen inspired, mm -hmm. or it would be European comics, which were more cartoony and childlike in design or very adult and very realistic looking and then i found hellboy and i was like i have never seen any book drawn this way before and it was sort of like yeah you, the frustration you've always had of not being able to make your drawings look as polished i guess or as fine as manga you don't have to you can make stories with a design that looks just like how you want it to look and Hellboy was sort of like, yeah, it's allowed to make this stuff look different, which is why a lot of the stuff that I was that I, that I draw now has such a Mignola inspired uh, aspect to it. Knowing what you came from or what you inspired you and what you wanted to do, how did you bring those two together to create your own work? I think it's because at first I just knew I wanted to draw, but I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do with it. I always had a thing for comics. I've always been reading them. And when I got into art school, my teachers themselves were like, yeah, you have an affinity for like comics specifically. So might as well push into that. And originally I wasn't even planning on working with the American side of the industry. I was just more on the mindset of I'm going to work with whoever wants to work with me. And, and originally like the first book I published was Delia and it was I originally wanted to publish it in France and it just so happened that it turned out very complicated and my family was always giving me the advice of you should go to the Americans and I did and it proved very useful and I, I kind of already knew because when I started publishing my comics on the internet, the stuff that I was doing with, uh, with Kugali at the time, the American, or at least the English speaking side of, the, of Twitter was much more receptive to it than the French side. And gradually, I just started making everything in English. I, I see. So let's go back to Kugali a little bit. I would love for you to explain uh, this amazing um, African company that you aligned yourself with. How did you find them? What do they do? 
And how did they lead you to do some more of the comics that you're doing now? Uh, so basically, I was out of art school about five years ago, and I had spent the the last year of art school trying to make a comic of what I described at the time as West African fantasy and science and science fiction. Uh, it was very Hellboy inspired, and my teachers were not very receptive to it. Essentially, telling me that I would not be able to 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 sign this type of work anywhere. And so when I graduated, I decided, okay, I had already proven to my teachers that they were wrong because most of the members of the jury actually loved the stuff. And what I found interesting was that the younger they were, the more, more interested they were. But anyway, and so I just decided, okay, I need to turn to people who can understand this stuff. Um, so I just went on Facebook and I found Kugali, which at the time was literally just a Facebook group. <laughs> Of, I remember uh, that. I yeah. remember when it was just I it was even before some of the people who are there now. It's just like two guys. Yeah, and so like there were there were a Facebook group of African people making comics together, and and we just decided like I just talked to them for a while, and then we started interacting with each other a bit more and deciding okay, let's make a. I think it was, we made like an anthology of stories. And then another, and then another, and and then each of us started going our own way. And so it's a collective, it's a company that's owned and uh, run by Nigerian dudes. And uh, they work with a bunch of African creators from around the continent and even beyond because I live in France. The greatest part for me was being able to sort of not have to worry about explaining anything to anyone in terms of, yeah, this is African, this is what this means. You don't have to do that with them. They just take your story and they like it and they do it. And it was a good launch pad of like getting attention. Well, let's let's talk about that anthology because one of the things that I loved about Kugali is that every country in Africa has a rich history of stories and lore and deities and things like that. And I think it's fascinating how they're like, why are we making other people's stories? Let's make our own. What's that like for you, bringing some of those West African fables and stories to life on the page? It's actually funny how I didn't even think of it in terms of like, I think when I met Yelia, the the idea wasn't even coming from a place of we need more representation or anything like that. It was more, I grew up with stuff like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto, which was very much based in the local Japanese law of the creators. And I just, one day I just walked into a, a, one of those shops of like African statues. And I was just like, this aesthetic is cool. And I realized I've never seen it in comics before. How about I make one? And it wasn't even an idea of I want to represent. It was just, yeah, it would be cool to have something like that. Like it would be fun. And even on a personal level, it would be a good opportunity to learn about it. So the first thing I did was going to my grandfather and asking for books about folklore and stuff. Grandparents are awesome. Yeah. Like he had he had like loads and loads of, of, of stuff to give me. But anyway, I started doing my own research and asking my family members, like uncles and stuff, like, do you have like movies that I should watch? Uh, uh, African filmmakers that I should know about. Like we have, Senegal has the first African filmmaker of like magnitude, I would say. Tell me about that Senegalese director. We want to hear him and some of these stories. Okay, so his name is Usman Semben. He is considered the first filmmaker of Africa. And the main reason why I like it so much is that he has this sort of like, he was a filmmaker in the 70s. 
And most of his movies were very socially conscious. And so I would say the most important thing for me really was making a story as good as I could and being as respectful as I could, but also have fun, I guess. Like that was the really big thing of like, I, I know how cool this stuff can be, but I also grew up with Samurai Jack and I want people to get the same kind of kick they get from Samurai Jack, but with my folklore, if possible. That's amazing. And, I, and I'm, I'm seeing shades of that in your work on Monkey Mean, in your work with Julia. You're, you are making some of those similar commentaries that Usman did. Did you purposely do that? Sort of. Working on Delia, one of the things that became obvious pretty quickly was how I essentially grew up in a family that would talk about politics all the time. The funny thing, I guess, was that the, the, the way I explain it is you have to imagine that I'm on one side of the room watching Cartoon Network and the, the adults are on the other side of the room talking about recent politics. And that means that my brain mixed the two of them constantly. Very often I will reread a story that I made and realize that it had either some political message that I wasn't necessarily intending, but I do care about it. And I realized that it was, it was included in there almost subconsciously, or it's going to have something to do with like mental health, because I have loads and loads of personal issues that I have to deal with. And a lot of it is in my work as well. So it's very personal for you. Yeah. Now to your work, we talked all about these amazing influences. When did you decide to make comics your career, and when did you tell your parents? <laughs> uh, I was eleven, and I was eleven, uh, and I was lucky. It's like the, the the cliche of the Afri of the African family is, you know, the parents being like, "No, you're gonna get a real job. You're gonna be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever." And I was lucky in that my dad went through that with his dad of being forced to follow a certain path. And then my grandfather actually admitted one day, maybe we should have been more like sensitive to the, to the things that our children wanted to do, uh, which my dad is still mad about. But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, what did your dad want to do? My dad is a bit of an, of an outlier in that he ended up doing what he wanted anyway which is a big influence in how I am because I was lucky enough that when I was 11, I said, I want to draw. And he said, you can do whatever you want. You just have to be good at it and work. I will support you into whatever you want to do. You just have to work. So clearly you didn't get your first paid comic book job at 11. So mm -hmm. what was your first paid gig? And were you writing and drawing? And what was it? Was it here in the States? Or nope. tell uh, us about that. I, had, I made one book in France. It was like 200 pages and it was not a good experience at all. I wasn't writing it, which is a big part of why I didn't like it. And it's actually become kind of a rule for me of like, I, I guess for like listeners who might want to get into comics, um, the realities of life are that sometimes you have to take on jobs that you don't want to, but as much as possible, try to avoid jobs that you're not going to like because making comics takes time and energy. And if you're miserable, you just end up unhappy and the work isn't good anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I just didn't like it. So I guess the first real gig that I got was Jillia. 
of like I wrote everything, I drew everything, and it was my thing. Uh, and at the same time, I started working with like I think DC, and uh, I did one book for Image that's still not out. I also started co-writing something with uh, Hassan Otsman Al Hao, uh, who's yes. a letter and a writer. But since we haven't published the book yet, no one knows. Um, but you had like a Kickstarter or something for that. I yeah, and like the story is so good. Uh, but we are going to publish it. And I also think you're being a little bit modest because you've done a few covers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like those, those were, I almost call them bonuses in a way of like, the first cover I did was for Excellence, the Image uh, Skybound book. Mm -hmm. And then I started making them for DC and Marvel around the same time, I think. And then a bunch for like Boom Studios and, and stuff. Like I... I like making covers. I just don't have much of a time for it anymore. <laughs> well, I think it's fantastic how you were able to do work in the Kugali anthologies and you were able to bring some of that West African folklore that you were talking about or African folklore in general that you were talking about into your work. And then now you're making comics, again, Monkey Meat, um, Jalea, with some of the same feel and tone yep. that you were reading growing up. Also, congratulations, because I heard you're up for an Ignatz Award for <laughs> Julia. So congrats oh, yeah. about that. <laughs> um, so now I got to ask, in terms of your style now, you did mention Mike Mignola. And I definitely, when I saw your work, I felt like it was one part Hellboy, one part gorillas yeah. yeah so with a little bit of basquiat thrown in there and so i'm curious are those the artists like jamie hewlett did all yeah. those you know the gorillas stuff can you name the other artists that influenced the work that you're doing now oh boy uh i mean the list is long darwin cook um is a big one chris Sunny. There's, there's European artists as well. Wait, okay. Sergio Topi. Sergio yes, Topi is also yes. a big one. I don't draw like him at all, but he has this like knack for like composition. Then you have French or Belgian artists like Franca is a big uh, influence as well. And then you have Full Metal Alchemist and Shaman King. So, yes, all mixed in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where it gets weird. It's like a lot of different things coming from a lot of different creators and it just mixes together into one thing so where in there did marvel come calling like how did that happen because your story is so interesting okay so i think it was last year i was it's actually funny because i i started working on for marvel for like on, on like two different fronts at the same time and they did they did not know i think i was contacted by a recruiter on one side who told me i've been receiving messages from editors asking me to hire you for like a month so I have to do it so they, so they stop harassing me. And <laughs> the, on the other end, I uh, made a tweet where I said, I have an idea for a Black Panther story. So basically, if Marvel wants to do it, I'm available. And I received a message from the editor who was working on, on Black Panther at the time. And then at the same time, I was doing covers for like Wolverine and Thor. And every once in a while, I, I receive an email where they're like, do you want to do this character? And I, You did a really good Spider-Punk too. That variant was really nice. So 
Tell me about Black Panther. And I'm always interested when I ask someone who's from the continent what <laughs> their view of Black Panther is. Because it's different than African-Americans. So tell me what, first what you thought of the character and then what you wanted to bring to the character in your story. Uh, Okay, I don't know how controversial this is going to sound, but to me, Black Panther is not an African concept at all. And that's not a bad thing. Because he was made for one specific context for an appeal to to a very specific people and they needed it. And he works very well for that purpose. And the challenges of the African-American communities are not exactly the same as the challenges of the Africans. And that's okay. So basically, he wasn't made for me, but I could still find interest in him. Like the first book I read of him, I was a teenager and I was reading the sort of the pseudo reboot that they did by uh, Reginald Hudlin, right, right. Yeah, Hudlin, sorry. And just the scene of him I think it was his ancestor, but anyway, like like European colonizers coming and being like just getting their asses kicked. Mm-hmm. Like I, as an African teenager, I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, so on that level, he he he's great. But you also get this idea of like he isn't really made to tackle African themes, and it also shows in a lot of the way that Wakanda is made, the way Wakanda is designed and uh, functions. There are a lot of things that you can tell that it wasn't made by people who live in Africa. You can tell that it wasn't even made by black people originally. (laughs) Um, And and, and no, and that's a reality. But what I'm curious about is when you said that tweet, yo, if you need somebody to write and work on Black Panther, call me. What was the short story that you gave Marvel? I wanted to do sort of a classic sort of like African folktale type story, but using Black Panther as like the basis for it. Mm. mostly because I realized that he hadn't necessarily been used in that way before. And I just thought it would be fun. And I even have like ideas to make this into an actual full-on miniseries, mostly because I like folktale-type frameworks. And he actually would fit very well in it and use a lot of African folklore to do it. Well, let's also talk about what the comic book landscape looks like in Senegal. Because I don't think people here have a full picture of what that's like. So we go to conventions here. Yeah. You know, are there conventions there? Are there places that, you know, are there more comic book shops now than there were when you were growing up? Mm, Not really. And I think the first comic book convention happened last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there is basically no comic book industry as of yet, but there are a few artists here and there. I don't really know them. I know of them, but like it's a very early burgeoning thing right now, which is very funny because I mean, it's basically the same for like the entire continent. It's a discussion we had with Kugali of like the generation of our grandparents was the generation that freed the countries. The generation of our parents was the generation that was sort of like, okay, what do we do with this now? And our generation is sort of like building the things that were not the most pressing matters, I guess. Um, and that includes that includes comic books. Uh, mm-hmm. So there have always been Af- uh, Senegalese comic book creators, but there were very few and far between. And because there was no strong industry around it, they couldn't really do much. And so now it's starting to become more of a thing. And the internet is helping a lot, but it's very early. What's the French comic book scene like? 
it has this sort of like cultural cachet, I guess, but it's mostly in Europe and outside of Europe, it has this like, it depends on how good they are at exporting their own creations. So when I was originally wanting to make Jelia in France, my roommate was making this joke of, uh, yeah, you're not going to be like, unless you get translated into English, this isn't going to have much of a reach outside of like the French speaking countries anyway. There's this idea in France and Belgium and Europe as a whole of like comics is like, it's called the ninth art. Mm. It is normal to have it museums and like museums dedicated to it, but like having exhibitions and everything, there's a bit more of a artsy aspect to it. Uh, It's a bit more a part of the culture. What are some stories that you would like to tell? And are there any other Marvel characters that you'd like to tell those stories with? Oh, (laughs) Um, my favorite characters from Marvel are like Thor and Nova. Which Nova? That's the thing. I would say my love came from Richard, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Richard Ryder, but but I would want to work on uh, Alexander ah. because because he's younger, he has more of that vibe of like the fun adventure type stuff. I feel like Richard feels like a character who's already realized, whereas Alexander has more of a flexibility. So, what are you working on that you can talk about, and what are some more a th- uh, couple other th- characters you'd like to? So I'm working on the next Monkey Meat uh, stories, which should be coming next year. And I have two graphic novels, actually, that I'm working on at the same time. And so that means that on the work for higher stuff, I more, I put everything on the back burner, more or less. But yeah, the, the hopefully I start doing covers and stuff again soon. So yeah, like I'm, I'm a very like I'm in a very hush hush mode these days. I can't speak about anything I'm doing because none of it has been announced. Well, I'm so excited that you took time to talk with me. I think the world of your work and your art, and I think you're going to be influencing a whole other generation of artists. Thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. You know, one of the best things about my job is that I get to be a fly on the wall for these conversations. <laughs> Just come on. I like, look, y'all could have talked for another three hours. We honestly, we really could have. Like, I'm, you know, you have his number because, like, I really want to have a chat with this man <laughs> because it was so much, especially the anime. And I know we know a lot of the same people in the Kugali crew. And I'm so, I that's where I first saw him. So it was so amazing to hear how he was able to collaborate with other African creators and then just grow from there and just hearing what it was like growing up in Senegal and what the comic book community was there like there. I am a huge fan. I was a fan before, but now I'm like a, a cheerleader of Junie Ba. I'm really excited. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you I so wanna, much. Yeah, I do. Thank you. Like, thank you so much for coming in. I know you got a busy schedule. Uh, you know, where can folks find you and your work? Well, you can find me all over. I'm basically the Blurred Girl everywhere. T-H-E-B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L. I'm usually bouncing between Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok these days. And please check out the Pop Paranormal podcast. 
uh, over on Travel Channel where we talk about pop culture and horror as well. And I've got a few more things in the works. Oh, my God. Thank you, Karen Mahorn, for being on this podcast. Thank you for all the work you do in the community. And thank you for this incredible conversation. Yes. And thank you, Angelique Rocher, for having me on the show. I mean, it's always lovely to hang out with you. Thank you for letting me talk to Junie Bob because that was an incredible conversation. I love creatives talking with creatives about the process and how culture influences art so much. Uh, and you know what? We deserve more of that. So before we go, let's meet another member of the latest class of Marvel Stormbreakers, creative Yan Basildua. Translation provided by Jasmine Romero. Yes, my name is Janet Basaldua. I am uh, I am Mexican. I am a transsexual woman, and I'm living here in Mexico. So I started drawing comics uh, about 30 years ago in Mexico, and most of my time working in comics has been in Mexico. I started out as an assistant at an old teacher's studio. His name was Sexto Valencia, and I started out doing um, a character called Memín Pinguín. Dos o tres años. I was his assistant for two or three years, and then I started doing um, some comics in Mexico, some some popular characters in, in Mexico. And after a few years of drawing uh, comic strips, I started doing cover art for comics here in Mexico. Uh, actually, they were they were erotic content. <laughs> Before I became an assistant, I, as a girl, I loved reading comics. Um, particularly, I loved Spider-Man, Conan, Los Avengers. And I really loved John Byrne's version of the X-Men. As a young girl, I was very, very, very introverted. Uh, I used to lock myself up in my room and draw in notebooks. And I always dreamed of being a comic book artist. Um, I, I really wanted to draw superheroes. And so when I started working for U.S. companies like Marvel, it was really a dream come true. I'd say that my style is very much realist, uh, realistic style, and I've always really liked realistic style artists like uh, Neil Adams and Fran Francetta, um, and also some of the classics like Alex Raymond and Harold Foster. Sin embargo, en... But lately, I've been trying to open myself to be a little more creative and to try things that are a little less realistic, um, things that maybe have a, a little manga to them or maybe an anime style. Uh, 
Adem y, y además de él, tuve varios maestros muy buenos mexicanos. Um, eh, I actually had a lot of really great Mexican mentors. Um, Rafael Gallur, Juan Alba, Ángel Mora. I really owe them for teaching me everything that I know. Pues me anima mucho lo que estoy haciendo en este momento del que no puedo hablar. Well, one of the things that I'm most excited about is the project that I can't tell you about. Um, but I'm very excited about what's coming. Um, I'm actually working on some cover art for Black Panther and for Captain Marvel and I'm really excited about how it's coming out. Este, pues que fue un honor para mí, bueno, es un honor para mí es formar parte de los Stormbreakers. Really, it's just an honor to be part of this program. I'm just really grateful to Marvel to give me this chance to be a part of this team. And I'm just trying to do my best as an artist and, and give, you know, better work every day. Uh, I'm trying to better myself with every page and, and every cover that I make. Yan is the first artist behind Legion of X, and issue number five just came out this week, so go get it. All right, so next week I'm back in the host chair with an extraordinary guest, South African artist Mahale Mashigo. Mahale is an award-winning novelist, narrative game director, singer, songwriter, musician, and comic book writer. She will be talking to me about her latest miniseries for Marvel featuring Moon Girl and the recent finale, X-Men and Moon Girl, as well as a couple other projects she's done for Marvel, like the United States of Captain America and the incredible character, Nichelle Wright. Also, we'll be talking about how her home, culture, and her love for fantasy have shaped her writing. You're not going to want to miss this. Marvel's Voices is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, and me, Angelique Rocher. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen. And our executive producer is Jill Duboff. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Wainaina. <laughs>